don't think God cares much about the detail of how we do these things. Because I believe that the only thing God really wants from you is your heart. I know this for sure. He ain't after your money. Well, well, the money that we call our own, you know, we, we, think, we think it's our money. It's actually everything belongs to Him. But God doesn't want your money. He's trying to get things to you, not take things from you. I know that. And we've always, from the, from the start of this church, four and a half years ago, we've been saying that there's, there's no magical box that you can tick that, that makes God want to bless you. He's already blessed you. He's blessing you right now. He gave His Son. We'll get to it in a few moments. He gave His very best for us. He's already given everything to us. Whatever we do for God is nothing more than a response to Him. So I, I, I think that's really significant when we think about giving to God. You're not giving to twist God's arm about anything, but it isn't. I believe in giving to God. But this passage this morning we're going to deal with is about much broader giving. Everything that we give, we give to other people and so on. So we can think about, you know, philanthropy, for example. You know, a lot of people, you know, give money to charities in the world. And and that's a great thing. And we we support that. As a church, we do that as well. Uh, We, you know, we've got various things happening that we give to in the church. And so... Uh, you might have seen the news this week that a well-known Australian businessman is just giving um, three quarters of a billion dollars for the rebuilding of Ukraine. And that'll probably be a small part of what it costs to rebuild that, that nation. But, um, but my question this morning is, what does God say about giving? And how do we go about it? And what really matters? What's happening in our hearts? What do we expect to get back from it, for example? That's an important question. So let's read from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Watch out, or be really careful. Be really careful with this. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Now, that's not just some old school thing. This happens today in exactly the same way. You've seen the big checks on TV, you know, the big checks. It's just exactly the same. Look at us. Look at what we're doing. Don't do that. It says, I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. The next one says, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your Father who sees all things will reward you. So this morning, friends, I want to talk about what God's perspective on giving and what he, how He wants our heart to be toward this. So number one, here's some things. Number one, giving because God is generous. Now, God is not just generous. He is the definition of generosity. Generosity is endemic to God. Generosity is woven through everything that God does. He's just flat out generous. And so he, more than that, he wants to reproduce his character in us. And I've mentioned this scripture a number of times, but I, I really love it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse, uh, well, the whole of Ephesians is amazing. You know, we should, we should be reading Ephesians all the time, really. But let's, let's look at it. Get rid of, this is for someone who's becoming a follower of Jesus. Get rid of the old way of life and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately 
reproduces his character in you. So that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to make us like him. Is that a good idea or what? You're not sure. God is wanting to make us like him. He wants to reproduce. You need to be sure about that, folks. That's a really good thing. (laughs) I want to be like God, and I want you to be like God too. He wants to accurately reproduce his character in us. What I like about this is that, you know, he gave his all for us. And I've been thinking about this scripture quite a bit this week. Um, But, you know, God is incredibly big. He is so amazing. He is huge. And the Bible says that, uh, you know, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. No one has even been able to imagine the things that God can do or has done for those who love him. He's Look, he's completely, God is unlimited. He's absolutely unlimited in his scope and his majesty and magnificence and the scale of what God is. However, God has one limit. Now, if you're for the theologians here this morning, you might want to argue this point. But but there there are some other other ways you can argue this. But I want to tell you, all the other arguments become irrelevant in light of what I'm about to say to you here this morning. God has got one limit that really matters in terms of our lives. And it goes like this. He only had one son to give to us, to redeem the world. And John 3.16, that famous verse of scripture, you know, just shows it so well. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. So God gave it his best shot. He only had one throw of the dice. He had one way of saving us, and he gave it his very, very best. He gave his all. He gave us his son, his one and only son. Secondly, giving, giving is a natural response when you, when, when you love someone. You know, just think for a moment about, you know, here's a young guy, and, and uh, he, he's, he's met this young woman, right? And, and so uh, he's come to understand that he really loves her. Now, I say, I'm saying this very intentionally, what I'm saying here. He hasn't just fallen in love with her. You know, that's a phrase that people use. But, you know, if you understand what love really means, you can't fall into love. Love is a calculated decision that you have to make. And, and so he's come to understand that he loves this person, the most beautiful thing he's ever seen walking the face of the earth. And so, and he's decided that he wants to spend the rest of his life with this person. What's he going to do about that? Well, you know, what I'm about to say here, I know is countercultural, and um, most of our modern, uh, trendy culture won't agree with what I'm saying here, but I don't care because history will prove that what I'm saying is right. The first thing he'll do is he'll want to give her some token of his commitment. It might be an engagement ring, for example, or something else that's a a token of commitment that he's making, which is what love really means. And so uh, giving is a very natural outflow and a response to love, to to real love I'm talking about here. So think about, as another example, just um, soldiers, you know, volunteering to go to war. And uh, that, that wonderful verse of Scripture that says that Jesus said, this is, this is the greatest kind of love you're ever going to know, that someone lays down his life for his friends. 
Uh, that, that's really serious stuff. <laughs> when someone says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend my country. I'm going I'm, I'm to go and sign up so I can defend my country. It's happening in, around the world today in various places. It's because they love their country. Giving is a very natural outflow of love. Okay, second thing about our giving um, is that giving reframes your world. Um, giving helps us to see our world in, in, a, in, in a proper light, and it helps us to understand eternity. Every time you give, and I'm not talking about just giving to God here, I'm talking about every time you give something of yourself to someone, like giving to someone in need, or you help someone who's in trouble, or whatever. Every time you give in that way, you are reframing or refocusing your view of eternity. And I think this is really important. I'm not saying here this morning, friends, that we are saved by our good deeds or our good works. No, the Bible is very, very clear. We're only saved in one way, through faith in Jesus. But it's also, also very clear that, the, that we are saved for the purpose of doing good works, doing good things. That God, that's the way God has created us. And uh, I, I, uh, when I'm having this kind of conversation with people, I often say, um, we should never ever get away, get very far away from uh, that verse in Matthew 25, the, the story that Jesus told about the sheep and the goats. And it, so I'm going to try and paraphrase it a little bit. It goes like this. It says, at the end of the age, when the king or the master, Jesus comes in all of his glory with all of his angels with him. He will sit on his throne and the people of the nations of the world will be brought before him. And he'll divide them up, so to speak, as a shepherd divides sheep from goats. And it says, and the sheep he'll put on his right hand and the goats on his left. And, uh, and he'll say to the sheep, um, enter into the joy of your Lord, into the, into the things that have been prepared for you from the beginning of time. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. Uh, when I was homeless, you gave me a room. You know, when I was shivering, you gave me clothes. When I was sick and in prison, you came and visited me. And they said, when did we ever do that to you? And... He said, yeah, I'll, I'll call him later. Tell him. Just, 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 uh, they said, when do we ever do that? And uh, he said, whenever you did one of these things to anyone who was ignored or overlooked, you did it to me. That was me. So what, what I want to say, friends, here today is that, you know, sometimes we get uh, funny and religious also about how to be saved. They say, well, you've got to pray this prayer. This, you've got to be baptized. You know, you've got to do this. Some people even go as far as to say things like, you've got to speak in unknown languages. Or, you know, some people think you've got, probably got to give money to the church. Oh, I don't know. That's weird stuff. But, but um, I want to tell you this. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven in eternity that might not have fit our criteria, but they're there because they did the things that Jesus spoke about. And so I'm saying this morning, friends, that that's important. When we read that in Matthew 25, it's important to know. Now, I, number one, put your faith in Jesus. Come to Him and give your life to Him. Have your sins washed away. You know, He, he did everything necessary to, to save us from our lives and from our sin. But don't overlook those things like Matthew 25. When you see someone who's shivering, they might need some help, some extra clothes, or you know, they might need a meal, or they might need someone who's thirsty. Go and give them, give them a, buy them a coffee next door or something like that. Okay. Here's another example um, about giving that reframes your world. In uh, 
the book of Hebrews, uh, there's some amazing stories. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and Enoch and all these amazing heroes of faith in God. And, and uh, it, it, just, it just lines them all up and it says everything they did was on the basis of their faith in the living God. And we're going to read it actually from Hebrews chapter 11. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. By an act of faith, he lived in the country promised him, lived as a stranger, camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. So all of these patriarchs of faith, all of these great heroes of faith in God, they kept on going, they kept on pursuing God and looking to the future because they had their eye on something that God had promised them. God had spoken into their heart and said and told them that I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to give you this whole country. And so they, they gave their lives for that. They gave their whole attention to that. They kept their focus on it because that was in the future. They were looking for a city that had real eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. They saw something in the future, lived as though they already had it, even though they didn't have it just yet. So uh, let's, let's just jump down to Hebrews 11, verse 13. And it says this, Each one of these people of faith died, not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, they waved their greeting and accepted the fact they were transients in this world. In other words, everything that they were giving their lives for, everything that they were sacrificing for, everything that they were living for was because they were looking for something in the future. In other words, they had eternity in their hearts. They had a better perspective. They had a really clear vision of eternity. And I'm saying this morning, friends, that every time we give to someone else, what it does is it reframes our view of eternity because we understand that our whole life is not just about the acquisition of stuff, you know. And there's nothing wrong with acquiring stuff, you know. God will bless you with stuff. That's good. But don't build your whole life around that because it's temporary. Build your life around a vision of eternity and the future that God has for you. I just love this verse in Proverbs eleven twenty four. It says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Why is that? The, the, the world of the generous person, it gets bigger and bigger. Why? Because he's focused or she is focused on eternity. It's a pretty big world out there. You know, then it says the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Why? Because that person is just focused on what they've got around about them. Okay? It's important we keep our focus upwards on what God has for us in the future and eternity. Keep your focus on eternity. Okay, the last thing, giving helps us deal with idolatry in our hearts. So we're, um, we're kind of drilling down a bit here as we go. Uh, giving helps us deal with idolatry in our hearts. Um, giving, and I'm talking here about giving to anybody, giving to someone in need, you know, what you might give to charity, as well as giving to God. But giving is anti-idolatry because every time you give something away and you know that you're not really expecting anything in return, it's not about you. 
And it's, not a, it's, it's about God, actually. Uh, there's a great verse in Proverbs somewhere that says that whoever gives to the poor is lending to the Lord and, he will, and God will, he will repay. There's a big connection between what we do socially in terms of our you know, charity, charitable acts and, and God. Because God notices those things. It's, it's a spiritual thing. Giving is a spiritual thing. So um, he wants to test our hearts, and he will. He will test our hearts to ensure we're not putting our trust in the things that he gives us. Actually, he wants us to put our trust in him alone, give our heart to him. So God is committed to keeping things out of our hearts that would eventually, ultimately lead us into some kind of bondage. Because it's possible to be in bondage to the things that we have around us, like finance and money, for example. So Luke 16 says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So, you know, it's, it's important for us to find freedom from that in these things. Now, some people think uh, incorrectly that the more wealthy you are, the more greedy you are. If you look at a, a person who's got some some wealth, substantial wealth, they say, oh, they, they must be, they're really greedy. Some people think that's not true. That's completely not true. Friends, a person who is greedy and is trying to, you know, accumulate everything for themselves all the time, that's nothing to do with how much, how much, you know, wealth or resources they have. It's entirely to do with how they hold the wealth that they have in their hand. Because I want to tell you, friends, if you've got an open-hearted and a generous spirit, God will pour unlimited wealth through your hands if it's not just sticking to you all the time. So that's what God is wanting to do. And I, I want to um, give a couple of examples just in a moment. It made, it made me think of, um, uh, you know, you know in, in the old days, uh, in churches, people used to send uh, like an offering bag or an offering plate around to take up offerings of cash from people. What's cash anyway these days? I'm not sure. Um, it, it's, it's still a real thing, I know. But, um, and there's a, a bit of a joke about a guy who was, he had, he had like a $20 note in his hand. He was going to, he wanted to put it in the offering bag as it came past. And he's holding onto it so tight and the offering bag's coming down the road. Oh, no, well, he's holding it so tight, he doesn't want to let it go. And even the queen's got a little tear coming down her cheek, you know, because he's holding it so tight. The, queen, the queen's picture on the, on the $20 note. But... Um, you know, God is not anti-prosperity. It's important we know this. He's not. In fact, if you look at all the characters in the Bible, many of them were the wealthiest people of their day. Now, they were, they were people who really had serious resources, and God used it for great things in their life. But let's look at um, some examples from the New Testament about this as we bring this to a close. Number one, in Luke 21, this is about... The, the widow, we can just go back up there, Luke 21, the one above. Uh, it says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. Now, uh, in the original language, this is written in, um, the, the, the coin that it's referring to there is what's called a lepton. It's the smallest copper coin used in Bible times in New Testament times, and um, uh, it's worth about an eighth of a cent. So she was putting in two of those, a quarter of a cent she put in. It's not a lot, is it? Um, that's what happened. Let's go to the next one. Uh, verse 3 says, Jesus said 
to his disciples, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Now, what I like about that is that it was very obvious that money, and she didn't have much, but money was not controlling her life. You know, she had, she had surrendered her life totally to God. Now, now, you might say, oh, well, you know, she only gave a little because she didn't have anything much. But you know what? That, that doesn't say anything. That in itself doesn't, talk, doesn't tell us how spiritual she was because you can't equate um, poverty with spirituality just the same as you can't equate wealth with spirituality. You can't look at someone who's got a lot of wealth and say, oh, God must be blessing them. You and I both know that just ain't true. <laughs> There's a lot of wealthy people in the world who've got no time for God at all. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of poor people, very, very poor people in the world who couldn't scrape anything together who've got no time for God either. You can't, your status, your financial bank balance has got nothing to do with how spiritual you really are. But I do know this, that God wants to bless you. I, I know that. He wants to bless you. Okay, so, so here's the widow. And we, one thing for sure, she wasn't controlled by money. It wasn't in her heart. She conquered it. Second one, um, the rich young ruler. Let's look at this. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And I, I have to say, as a young guy growing up, I grew up in church, right? So as, at a very young age, I committed my life to follow Jesus. And, and uh, this verse in the Bible used to trouble me a little bit because it's a story about, uh, you know, how Je- well, let's read the story first. Okay, as he went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence and said, Teacher, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, well, why are you calling me good? You know, no one is good, only God. There's a whole, you know, teaching around that. But you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. He lists all the commandments. Um, and then he said, teacher, the, the, rich, the young ruler said, teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. So let's go to the next one, next slide. And it says, Jesus looked at him hard in the eye and loved him. And he said, there's one thing left. You know what I like about that? It's... Um, Jesus was saying, without saying it, he was saying, the commandments are not enough. Keeping the commandments will not save you. He looked hard in his eye, looked right in this guy's face, looked deep inside of him, and he said, there's something more that you need to do. And he said, go and sell whatever you own, give it to the poor, all your wealth will then be heavenly wealth, and come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This is the last thing he wanted to hear. He walked off with a heavy heart, holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. That's the part that used to trouble me. I used to think, you know, oh, God, I hope you never, ever say that to me. <laughs> you know, I, I hope you never, you know, ask me to give away everything I've got, you know. And, and there's been plenty of times when he has put his finger on certain things and said, I want you to give that away or give this away. Plenty of times, you know, because uh, he's always testing our hearts to, to keep us from idolatry. And giving is, like I said, it's anti-idolatry. It drives a stake into the things that would try and capture our hearts. And when Jesus looked into the eyes of this man and, and loved him and it said, there's one thing you need to do. It's like he looks into our eyes and he, said, he knows what we all need. 
what the thing we really need to be saved. He said, this is what I want you to do. And I'm asking us this morning, you know, what is Jesus saying to you today? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Can we have our creative team to come back uh, up on the stage at this time? So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Maybe he's saying, you know, I, I want you to open up your heart to other people today. Maybe you've, maybe you've been pretty closed and you, you're not the sort of person that really wants to help others. Or, but he's saying, I want you to be more generous with your time. I want you to be more generous in helping other people. And I know there's plenty of people here today that are very, very generous in those areas. But what's God saying to you today? Maybe he's saying, I want you to start to embrace the generosity that's at the center of God's character today. Start to, start to make that your, your mission in life, your goal to be like God in those ways. Maybe he's asking you today to lift up your eyes to eternity and say, oh, you know, God, I, I want to have a vision of eternity to, to govern every day and every week of my life so that I know where I'm going. Uh, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to be spending my whole life just running around with the chickens on the ground. I want to keep my eye on the eagles. I, I want to keep my eyes up on you. I, w- I, want, I want you to be drawing me up. Like Jesus said to the Apostle John one day, he said, John was praying and he was just waiting on God and he's hearing from the, the Holy Spirit speaking into his heart. And God says to him, John, Come up here and I'll show you things that will happen after this. And God took him up to heaven and he saw a vision of the future. That's where the book of Revelation came from that we read about. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, there's some things you've been holding on to and it's time to let go. It's time to surrender fully the reins and the control of your life to God fully. Can we close our eyes just for a moment? And uh, I want to pray as we... Bring this to a close.